Welcome to another session of All Stars of Turf, presented by Foley and Air2G2. Our honoree today is Fred Taylor, CGCS, very recently retired superintendent after 43 years at Mankato Golf Club in Mankato, Minnesota. Welcome and congratulations, Fred. Thanks, Peter. It's uh, good to be with you today. I was flipping through my Twitter feed a couple of weeks ago, and uh, a couple of guys referenced the, an article in the Mankato Free Press uh, announcing your retirement. And I saw that, and I thought to myself, how can this be? <laughs> Fred Taylor's retiring? I said, oh, well, we, we've got ourselves a new all-star turf. He doesn't know it yet, but um, uh, when I emailed you and... Uh, inquired as to whether you would be uh, game for participating and doing this with us, you uh, you replied something to the effect of, well, I'm not sure that I'm worthy of such an honor, but uh, I think that that points to the humility of, of the guy that you are. We, you know, I've gotten to know you on a very superficial level, I guess, over the many years that you've been a turf net guy and beer and pretzels and all the rest of that, I guess, where we rub elbows once a year. But um, yeah, 43 years. Now, that that's not all as a superintendent, but give us a little history. You're a Mankato native, which makes it even more unusual, I think. Give us a little history as to how you got started and all that. Sure. Yeah, well, I started, you know, real young. My parents bought a little nine-hole course when I was uh, five years old. So um, they had me working on that right away, plucking weeds out of the greens and so on. But um, later on, after they How far them, we've come, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody knew of uh, any, any uh, other way to get rid of the weeds, but it was, you know, dandelions and... Uh, plantain and everything else the course had kind of gone fallow for that uh part of the year from you know april until august when my parents bought it so it was in a little bit of a state of disrepair at any rate um so once they sold the course um when i was in high school i started working for the people that owned it at that point and worked a couple of summers there a uh, very small operation you know two three people on the crew and um and then I went to, I graduated from high school and went out to Colorado to ski. And then I got a, um, a phone call from the person who had bought the course yet one more time. Um, and he said, I don't know anything about golf courses. I'm a, you know, a supper club guy. And, um, but I need somebody to, to work on the course and to run it. So he offered me a job. To come, so I came back to Mankato and that's how I got um back to to Mankato and then um I thought you know this is a pretty good gig I really enjoy it so then I started looking for schools and and um went to school in Waseca Minnesota which was uh, a, a campus of the University of Minnesota a two-year program and that's how I kind of got started so you um went on to get a business degree also though correct right so I once I uh, was at Waseca, the, um, the, they had a program, an internship program, and I um, asked Boots Fuller, who was that 
the superintendent at Mankato Golf Club at the time if if he'd be interested in having a, an intern. And so we worked out a deal and I came to work for him. And um, and then once I graduated from, from Wasika, I worked for another, oh, probably five years as an assistant under Boots. And then um, thought it was time that I maybe um, did something a little different. So I decided to go back to school at, at Minnesota State Mankato and got a business degree there. Um, which was a, a, you know, it was a good move. I learned a lot. And I was, you know, uh, a little bit older, so a non-traditional student and took my studies pretty serious as opposed to some, you know, when you're right out of high school and and that kind of Education thing. Education is often wasted on the young. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. It's very true. Um, so, yeah, then I um, got, the, got my degree and was... Um, um, kind of looking for jobs in the in the industry, not necessarily on a golf course, but maybe a sales type position. And then Boots had called me and said, um, you know, I'm going to Europe for two weeks. Um, I'd just soon have somebody here that's, you know, got some, some more um, experience than my current assistant. Would you be willing to come back for two weeks and uh, work with the crew and just make sure that everything's running and that kind of thing? So I agreed to do that. And then uh, that two weeks turned into however many years after that. I've been trying to do the math. I mean, your ins and outs and back and forth, and it <laughs> makes it difficult to kind of come up with uh, with a grand total. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to uh, the Mankato Free Press. They said 43 years. So we'll just go with that. Um, now, not all of that was as superintendent. When did you finally take over as superintendent? I believe that was in 92 that uh, Boots decided to retire. And he retired and stayed on the crew and helped us. Um, as, really? Uh, yeah. Um, he's a great guy. And, you know, his dad was a legend, too. So Boots's dad, Irv Fuller Sr., was the superintendent, the superintendent at Mankato Golf Club for 43 years before um his son Boots was hired as the superintendent. So between the two of them, that's what, 60 years, I guess, of uh, superintendency at the Mankato Golf Club. And then I was fortunate enough to um, to get the job after Boots left. Um, that I mean, like I said, he stayed on with the crew, but as he stepped down from the superintendent position. So I saw on Facebook that the club did a uh, a video profile video of you a couple of years ago that was very nicely done, and they were obviously appreciative of you as a as a person and uh, gave some real insight, I think, as to what the club is all about too. How, how did that the fit between you and the club really lend to your longevity there? Well, I think, uh, you know, a little bit of it is uh, just being a hometown boy. You know, uh, Mankato is probably, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the 60,000 uh, uh, population uh, between Mankato and North Mankato. But, um, you know, the, the membership at our club, I think, is um, demanding, but not um, to the point where they're not understanding and that was a big part of it for all those years. Um, you know, talking to my um, cohorts up in the Twin City metro area for one, um, you know, a lot of those folks, uh, they just, they they uh, they had membership that was even more demanding and more 
um, you know, just didn't have that understanding of what, what we go through and so on. And then I think there's a sense of uh, volunteerism at our club that was uh, really outstanding and a sense of ownership um, amongst the members. Like they didn't just pay their dues and expect everything to be done for them and, and whatnot. But they, you know, as far as our uh, committees and the board of directors and so on, very involved group of members and having that sense of ownership tied us together, I think, in some sense. Um, so it wasn't that I was just the, the guy out there working is kind of like we're a team, even between the membership and the grounds department made a huge difference, Peter. So um, that helped a lot. That'd be nice if that were sort of universally adopted as opposed to the, you know, the adversarial right. uh, type yeah. of relationship that exists too often. Right. And obviously um, you hear about those stories too, with uh, maybe the, the uh, golf shop and the, and the grounds department not cooperating too well or having having issues and so on. And I was very, very fortunate to, to work with some great golf pros and um, general managers. There's just been a lot of good people that have been, you know, in the club and in management. And uh, also the, the staff that I've had for all these years, I've had, geez, I think um, a couple of guys, Scott Ness has been with us for 32 years and Matt Marzinski for 29 years. Those are the guys that I worked with for all, all, you know, my career basically. So um, having that network of of um, help along with the membership side, that's what uh, I think that was the key to it. I saw in the the newspaper article that a quote that really jumped out at me, um, basically saying that you take credit for all the mistakes and any negativity or anything bad that happens. But for, for the general, the, the general credit needs to go to uh, go towards your crew. Is that pretty much how you've um, led these and managed these guys over the years? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it is. That's that kind of encapsulates it. Um, I've always said that, um, you know, my crew does the work and I just run interference for them, try and get out of their way, try and get the politics out of their way and try and, um, you know, um, I guess in a sense, uh, lead by example by, you know, being there and um, and getting down in the dirt and, and going out. You know, I spent most of my career, uh, and I don't know why, it's just the way that I like to do things is, um, get on a mower every morning or get on the cup changer. And um, if there's an irrigation break, um, I'll, I'll dig it, you know, and you're up to your knees in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, the, that's just the way that that's just the, and I think I learned a lot of that from boots and from my dad. He was um, uh, through his career as in restaurant management and golf course and whatnot. He was a, uh, he was a get in and do it, raise up your sleeves and get after it, you know? I saw also that you are going to be honored, in addition to being a TurfNet All-Star of Turf, <laughs> you are in line this uh, winter for um, receiving the Distinguished Service Award from the Minnesota 
Golf Course Superintendents Association. What does that mean to you? Uh, it, it's uh, again, I I don't know that I'm worthy of such an honor, but if uh, other people think that I am, then I I uh, gladly accept it, and um, I'm just I'm so honored. I mean, it's the highlight of my career. You know, I mean, um, the Superintendents Association in Minnesota is very active. Great bunch of people. Um, I was fortunate enough to be um, part of the board of directors uh, back in the 90s, president for one year, um, worked a lot on the uh, education conference and so on. And um, uh, so it's been a great experience for me to be part of that uh, organization. And then for have having them to uh, bestow this honor on me is you know, it's it's really unbelievable. It's a highlight. It, it truly is. That's excellent. Getting back to your comment about um, running interference, or I guess being a buffer, really between the between the club members and the crew. What kind of guidance could you give to other superintendents, either you know, current ones or up and up and coming from the assistant level, in terms of? Um, sort of managing that uh, potential tension, if you will, between the uh, between the club and and the tasks that uh, staff needs to do. Being at a private club is, uh, I mean, it's there's a lot of moving parts. One of the best things is to um, make sure that your crew comes to work. And I, I was blessed because my crew did it naturally. But um, with a with a smile on their face, and as they go out and perform their tasks, make sure that they're um, interacting just a little bit with uh, membership. Always stop and have a wave. If the members look like they want to stop and chat, you know, take a minute to say hi and that kind of thing. Um, so keeping that um, rapport between your staff and the membership, the general membership. Then when it comes to the, you know, the Greens chairman and the Greens committee and and uh, meeting some of the demands, whether it be bunker sand or green speed or, you know, um, firm. All, the, all the hot buttons. All, all those hot button issues. You have to kind of, um, you know, hold back and maybe some of the stresses that you may have um, and don't, um, try and pour your heart out to the crew in most cases. Tell people, you know, because um, they ask, well, you know, how have you been around for that long? And I said, well, you know, if you go up to the headwaters of the Mississippi River, which is, you know, the largest river in North America, um, you can actually, there's stepping stones and you can step across the Mississippi River, but you got to know which stone to step on and you got to know how slippery it is. And you got to take your time and evaluate what your route's going to be to get across it. And that's kind of the same with um, the political part of being at a club. You know, you have to really kind of anticipate your next move or, or um, you know, you end up in the water. You have to think a couple of stones ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or what was your staff hierarchy like? Did you have one assistant, two assistants, or how did that work? It's a little different at our club. Um, I had a, a first assistant for a long time, uh, Al Starkey. He was with me for, oh gosh, 25 years or so. Um, and then 
we we never really had a mechanic, which is unusual for a um, a club like ours. So we kind of did it by committee. Al did some of it, and then Matt Marzinski is with us now, um, who is the current, um, I guess, superintendent uh, for intermediate uh, until the next person comes on. Uh, and then Scott Ness, who is an excellent mechanic and and um, would help us out occasionally, but but he was uh, drawn towards the clubhouse. So he would come down and work in the shop with us or maybe go out and, and mow a couple of greens, but then back down to the clubhouse to do um, office work. Like he was their IT guy. And um, he also took care of the swimming pool um, down there. So um, we did a lot of things by committee kind of, which is, you know, a little bit odd, but it kept all of us, um, uh, working on very different and a lot of different things. And, and it seemed to work out for us. I don't know that it would work in every situation, um, but with the people that we had, um, or still have, um, it worked out pretty good. And you still don't have a full-time mechanic. No, no. So like I said, it's kind of through committee. So when we had, you know, I'd wrench on some stuff once in a while and Scott would, Matt would, and now, uh, um, uh, we've got another fellow that's, uh, been there for a few years, uh, Tyler, and he, um, isn't afraid to get his hands dirty either. So that's kind of how we've, how we've done it. We haven't had a full-time mechanic since probably the 1980s. You have the dirt for out from under your fingernails yet? Um, not quite yet, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so you've officially been retired since, was it October 6th? Yeah, yeah. So that's what, just a couple of weeks ago. I don't mean to harp on the crew thing, but to me, that's, you know, the essence of or, or the found, the foundation of longevity for a, yeah. for a superintendent. What, what did you do with them to foster teamwork? I mean, besides splitting up the mechanic jobs, I mean, did you do anything off the course or any of that kind of thing? You know, not a lot. A lot of the guys really valued their time away from the club and away from the the course. And I think one of the things we did was not um, not try and overextend their working hours, I guess, is one thing. Try and separate as much as we could. If we had a day that we came in at six, which is most days, and and we could leave at two, and if there's any way to do that, that everybody could be gone at two, that's what well, that's what the crew liked, and that's you know that was good. And obviously, there was other times when we had to um, do other things. But so I kind of made sure that um, whenever possible, I was the guy that would come up late afternoons or evenings, check for moisture, check irrigation, and that kind of thing. Um, and I did that because number one, I'm the highest paid guy, so you know probably should take that responsibility on. And number two, um, it freed up my guys and didn't have to stress them out and, and uh, delve into their family time and that kind of thing. So what was your uh, typical schedule like? You mentioned the the target of 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., but how would you manage weekends and things like that? 6 a.m. to 2, 2 p.m. was a typical Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday Thursdays was our stag day, very busy day. 
So what we did there is we let most everybody off at 10 a.m. unless there was an unusual circumstance. So then to make up for those hours, then we asked people to come back on either Saturday or Sunday. And so basically our crew ran, um, they worked six days a week. Um, and then on the weekends, it was just 5.30 in the morning until the course was cleaned up and could go home. So that's how we uh, generally did it. And then as far as management, the weekend duties is uh, for the last few years here, Matt and I have just uh, um, split the weekend. So one of us would work Saturday, the other ones work, would work Sunday. And then in the wintertime, obviously, we get snow plowing and that kind of thing. And one of the uh, features that our club is um, we've got a real steep, long driveway that uh, to approach the clubhouse and anytime that there's you know half an inch of snow um you know somebody's got to be up there dealing with that either plowing or sanding and that kind of thing so then we just split that up um whoever was available strikes me as as uh just listening to you speak that you had the the opposite of what a lot of clubs or the situation that a lot of clubs are in um, scheduling wise and that since you got you, say you said Thursdays you let guys go at 10 or 10 30 whatever it was so they had a real short day they only had what four hours mm -hmm. so you in order to make up those hours you usually don't hear that term <laughs> it's usually they're trying to whittle the 50 plus hours down to something that's somewhat um, uh, manageable uh, so the target for the for the crew was 40 hours or yeah yep yep and then we had we have a number of uh people maybe um five or six people and they were basically just 6 a.m to 10 a.m and then they were done every day at that point but they would work six days a week too so monday through friday 6 a.m to 10 a.m and then on the weekends 5 30 until we were done mowing and so on and some of those folks were um uh, retired, but mostly college students. We were blessed in the fact that we had Minnesota State Mankato um, here, which is a population of, I don't know, 15,000 students or 12,000. I can't remember what it's at now. But um, lucky enough to have that base of people that we could draw from for um, uh, for working the, the crew. Many times, many sp springs, we'd have... Um, people call or drop in or send a letter or email. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, going to school at Mankato and I've worked at such and such club in the Twin Cities or in St. Cloud or wherever. And I was just hoping to catch a part-time job at the, at the club um, for while I'm in school or maybe through the summer where they've um, picked up a lease on an apartment or something. And so they're going to stay all summer. So that was a, a, a blessing for us in terms of our, um, uh, employee uh, pool of employees, I guess. Well, again, <laughs> I think back to um, what you said early on about walking into uh, Boots Fuller and asking him if if he would like to have an intern. <laughs> again, how, how times have changed, right? <laughs> dying for interns now. But um, so you've obviously seen a lot over the years, uh, a lot of things come, a lot of things go. Um, what do you think is one of the, or give me two or three innovations that 
really benefited you? And it could be equipment, could be fertility, could be PGRs, could be technology, um, could be management, irrigation, whatever. I think uh, the first one would be a big change would be rolling of greens. I mean, we didn't do that until, I don't know, until it became popular, I guess. Right. And the fear was always was, geez, you don't want to compact that soil. I mean, you know, for years and years, we aerified because of compaction. And and why do you want to compact? Well, um, uh, through research and so on. And, you know, I know uh, Frank was a big uh, believer in rolling. So, um, you know, we we started rolling every day, like seven days a week. We'd mow and roll. And, and um, that was a big change for us. Part of that, obviously, is the demands of the golfers, faster greens, smoother greens, that kind of thing, firmer greens. And I think rolling um, was a big part of all of those things. I think the second would be PGRs. And um, I think through um, uh, the work that was done down at the University of Nebraska by uh, Bill Kreuzer was just on growing degree days as in relationship to uh, um PGRs was that's one of the biggest things in my uh, tenure, you know, learning how to use those PGRs based on growing degree days and then, you know, um, mixing a few of them back and forth and really kind of understanding what's uh, what's going on with those. Those two really stand out as uh, big changes for us. Um, Beyond that, um, I don't know that there's any one particular piece of equipment that um, really makes, uh, you know, has been a big change. I think when I started um, back in 70, what was it, 77, um, they had just kind of transitioned from triplexing back to walking greens. And one of the reasons was back then is that the triplex ring, you know, that you get around the the mop-up lap. And and then uh, sand top dressing that wasn't really popular when I started either. And I remember boots. They going had to use shovels. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> I remember boots going to a conference over in Milwaukee, and the topic was that was the Wisconsin Turf Symposium back in probably I don't know seventy nine eighty somewhere in there. And he came back and and. Sand top dressing was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was controversial, and so they had people ever talking about the the great things about sand top dressing. And the next guy got up and he said the, and Boots was relaying the story. He said the um, the slide on the projector was a guy with a bulldozer, and he said that's what happens when you top dress with sand. You got to start over. <laughs> and so really? it was, yeah, it was uh, very controversial at the time, but obviously. Um, we've learned a lot about that too. And, and, uh, so sand top dressing would probably be the, the third thing that would come in and big changes. There's a long lineage, um, uh, in the, uh, <clears throat> state of Minnesota for, uh, equipment companies. Uh, obviously the big one's Toro, but I could think of a national mower. Yeah. He might've been in St. Well, they were in St. Paul, right? Yeah, yeah. Was, was, so you've got uh, National Canadian. Mower, you got Turfco, Foley, yep. um, or is Foley in Wisconsin? 
they're in Wisconsin now, but uh, I think Bob Neary started in Minnesota. Right. So, yeah. Has there been any benefit, you know, to your to a typical Minnesota club to have that kind of lineage or or research capabilities or any of that? I think there is more in the metro um, uh, because, you know, it's a lot easier to get from course to course and that kind of thing up there. And so, you know, a lot of my um, cohorts up in the uh, um, in the Twin Cities would have Toro or Turfco or somebody come and, and demo uh, equipment and that kind of thing with them. But I think um, extending out state, uh, you know, we've certainly got relationships with all those folks at uh, all those manufacturers. And that makes a that makes a big deal to us when it comes to um, uh, service and reliability. I mean, we can, you know, if I need to call somebody at Toro or, you know, it's it's a real easy call when you know who you're talking to, you know. Particularly when you've got a machine broken in half and and you don't have a full time mechanic, right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to lean on the on the vendors a little bit. Yeah. There you go. So obviously, uh, superintendents have to have support and whatever from a family and a a wife and all that to understand the the three thirty a.m.s and all that kind of thing. You've been married for a long time and have you're also a father of two daughters, as I am. Uh, how how big a deal has that been for you? Um, it it's it's been huge. Um, I'm blessed to uh, have been married to Amy for this many years, and she has been so supportive um, to understand the hours and the dedication that it takes. Um, not only through the summer months, but, you know, with the snow plowing and that kind of thing, it's, uh, you know, you might sit down for dinner, um, whether at home or maybe out for a meal um, downtown. And all of a sudden you look out the window and it's snowing and looks like it's going to keep snowing. And you say, Oops. sorry, honey, I, I got to go. And then you rush up to the golf club and get the snow plow out and start sanding the hill and that kind of thing. But she's been so um supportive and understanding there's a story that i told at our little um reception that we had um when i announced my retirement the club uh was very nice and had a had a nice reception uh in my honor i guess um but i told a story of how there was one night um a couple of years ago where our irrigation system the um the control for the the pumps wasn't working correctly and so in order to get water, you just kind of really had to stay there and um, watch the pressure and turn a pump on or off or add a sprinkler or whatever, almost like the old days when we were, you know, uh, manually working. And I, so I told my wife, you know, geez, I, I got to go up and, and water tonight. And I said, she said, well, what are you going to do for supper? I said, how'd you like to, you know, have a picnic up at the pump house? So um, I went up and started the irrigation and was working on it. And she drove up and had some sandwiches and whatnot and opened the tailgate to the SUV. And and so uh, there we were at, um, you know, about dusk, having sandwiches in the back of the SUV, watching the pressure and monitoring that and turning switches and stuff. But still, uh, she was up there to do that. And I thought, boy, that... Not everyone would want to do that, but she did. And so I love her for it. That's awesome. So what's next for you? You're 67, going to be 67? Yep, yep. 
So um, right now, um, I uh, one of the things that I've been toying with for a, a year or so is uh, becoming a, um, a certified volleyball official. So I started really? officiating uh, high school volleyball this uh, this season. In fact, I've got my last match of the season tonight. Um, so that's, um, you know, it's not a big payday or anything, but it's, uh, I've been involved with the sport as a player, as a coach um, for, and my daughters both played in high school and college. So I've been around the sport a long time. And I thought, well, you know, this might be a good way to kind of give back to the sport a little bit. And um, nice. it's been, been very interesting. And so I've got a lot to learn to be a, a better official, but, you know, I'm working at it. And then the other thing that I've uh, started is a little um, LLC. I'm working on uh, injecting ash trees for the uh, emerald ash borer, which is just really coming into our town um, in the last year or two. And, um, you know, I just looked around at the neighborhoods and how many ash trees there are. There are and I know that there's a way to save, you know, trees that um, that are you know, in the right place and, and the right size and, and the homeowners, you know, really want. And so um, I figured, um, you know, this would be a good time to get in and try and help that out. So those are the two things that I'm up to right now. Well, you should certainly be proud of uh, the career that you've had. I know that um, I don't think one could find anybody who has much of anything bad to say about Fred Taylor. <laughs> uh, we've always, uh, I know you've done a couple of tips and tricks videos for us back in the day. And again, we would meet up at some of our events and that kind of thing. And it's, uh, one thing I remember is that you always had a smile on your face, which is, uh, <laughs> which is a good thing. So again, congratulations on the all-star of turf, uh, and the DSA from Minnesota. You'll have to decide for yourself which which trophy to put up higher on the mantelpiece, right? But yeah. uh, now again, congratulations for an awesome career and uh, for being a good guy and maintaining being a good guy for all through all the thick and thin and the the potholes and the minefields of being a superintendent. So, well, thanks, Peter, and I appreciate you and and uh, all that TurfNet has uh, done. You know, um, just getting on the on the TurfNet site every now and then and catching up with some of the stuff even though i haven't added a lot lately but um uh, you always learn something every time you go to that page so um appreciate all that you've done and turfnet has done for the um the superintendents out here so thank you awesome well good luck and uh take care all right thanks peter appreciate okay. it